like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books, then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast, the podcast brought to you by sciencefiction.com, where we discuss all things science fiction, fantasy, comic books, superheroes, and action adventure in the world of pop culture. And I'm Daniel, and joining me today are Marisha. Hello. And Andrew. What's going on, everybody? And David. Hey, everyone. All right. So we were talking about some of these new release dates, and a couple of them kind of stand out. Um, the, there's still no new release date for Black Widow. Okay, yeah, so A Quiet Place 2, new release date September 4th. Still some to be determined. Of course, Fast and Furious would be April 2021. Ghostbusters is going all the way to March 5th of 2021. What else kind of pertains to us? Morbius will be March 19th, 2021. Still no date for Mulan. Still no date for New Mutants. Mm. Uh, no Time to Die will be November 25th. Uh, so some of these are only getting pushed. Uh, Marisha, I know you'll be very excited. No, you're still going to get to see Peter Rabbit, too. That one will be January 15th, 2021. Oh, wow. That's a big relief. Yep. <laughs> I was worried about that. <laughs> Scoob! There's no new date for Scoob yet. The oh, Zac oh. Efron, Will Forte, Scooby-Doo movie. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. Scene 2, and this one's interesting because Scene 2 was not slated until July of 2021 anyway. But it's been pushed to December of 2021, and I'm sure that's probably to make room for something for, yeah. for, for something else that'll move into that slot. Uh, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, will be July 31st. Top Gun Maverick is going to December 23rd, so a uh, Christmas release date for that, Uncharted which was originally slated for March of 2021 and being pushed to October 2021. And same thing, that, that's being moved to uh, make room for something. So mm. that's there are a couple of these. Wonder, Woman's, Wonder Woman 1984 is only getting pushed a couple of months. That's coming from June 5th to August 14th is the new date on that. Okay. Um, so a couple of these kind of stand out. I know we were talking about the Top Gun uh, moving into December, and I mean, so, summer releases are always kind of crowded. Also, right? But that's the kind of movie you release in the summer. June twenty fourth was a good slot for that movie. Yeah. It's the kind of movie people go see in the summer. Yeah. Uh, but Andrew was pointing out a few minutes ago what moving that film to December, what it puts it up against. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, it's uh, there's some big ones coming up in December. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is the one I've been waiting on for a long time is is Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, is set to release in December, and I is the new Avatar this December or next December? I believe it was supposed to be this December, and it's not something I've paid attention to. They haven't really started hyping it yet. I mean, we haven't even oh. seen, like, as far as I'm aware, we haven't even seen images. Now, you know, as far as other things that got pushed, I know some things that were already in the theaters. I know Bloodshot already got pushed straight to VOD. Did it? Yeah. It did, and uh, when I haven't 
it, it well the thing about Bloodshot was Bloodshot was in theaters for a week when all this started. Okay. So you, you're looking at a couple of movies where the theatrical run just got cut short. Birds of Prey, same boat. Yeah, Birds of Prey had been out for a while, right. but that one probably still had three or four, three or four more weeks left on right. its theatrical. Yeah, um, and it went to VOD, and actually I bought it on VOD the other day and watched it and enjoyed the hell out of it. By the way, okay. that's a good movie. But uh, well, we can get there in a minute. I just so looking at December as far as Top Gun goes, it, it moves into that kind of magic Christmas weekend slot, and mm-hmm. Dune and West Side Story will both have already been out for a week. Yeah, but is West Side Story really gonna? I mean, come it's on, Steven Spielberg doing West Side Story. Yeah, no, I know that, and y'all know how mm-hmm. about Spielberg. We had this conversation the other day, but. Does West Side Story still have the punch based that the name used to have? Especially when you take when you take a when you take something like Cats that just dropped this year. Ew. Same kind of thing. No, no, a, no, not the well, same kind of very, physical. very different. I would say more if you want to see how this will do. Go back and look at La La Land. La La Land, or I mean, geez, Greatest Showman was huge. I understand that. Wait, the the comparison I'm trying to make though is. With West Side Story, I guess what's kind of kept West Side Story in any kind of recognizability lately has been stage musical. It's one of the most beloved stage musicals of all time. Correct. So is Cats. It's I'm different just trying to say, I'm just trying is, to say that Cats after, is I'm just pretty weird. Even after what happened to Cats, I'm just trying to say that after what happened with Cats is some of the shine gonna rub off this kind of thing no no because with spielberg doing this visually it's going to be incredible and it's I have got, no doubt about um, that in fact there's some early shots out there and it looks amazing it's got ansel elgord in it too and, and that coming during the christmas break for school and everything i think it's going to do well i mean Maybe i think the big there's also a different audience than top gun too though it is and that's that may be it's it's I think you're right. I think it is, but it's not going to be a drastically different audience than Dune. Maybe. I I don't know. I mean, you know, Dune is, you know, we talked about this a few episodes back. Like, I know Dune. Like, Dune is one of my all-time favorite book series. But your average sci-fi fan in 2020 may not know the name Dune. That movie's going to have to do some really spectacular stuff with their previews. Um, otherwise, it could just get totally lost in the shuffle. Now, I expect it to be the most beautiful movie of the entire year. Those two movies releasing the same weekend, yeah. Dune and West Side Story, will probably be two of the prettiest movies made this year. But, I mean, Dune, they've tried Dune twice, and it, it's it's not an easy one to translate it's to screen. Not easy, it's, it's not. And... I think it could be if people, if the people adapting this thing actually understood the story better. It's like, true. They, you, you watch that. Now, first of all, the sci-fi miniseries is better. It's true. And we loved, I, I love David Lynch for, for what he does, TV, movies. Even he admits he's disappointed in his Dune adaptation. Do not watch that movie and think you're getting the story mm-hmm. of Dune. It is not a good adaptation of anything. I'm really have high hopes for this one. 
yeah. I feel like I feel like we're getting people now who maybe understand what that story is really about and what is going on. And I don't know how much detail to go into about what they get wrong with these adaptations, because if all you know about Dune is the David Lynch version then I'm not going to spoil the real story for you. You know what I mean? We might just need to do a, a just talk about it one time and just give a, like a spoiler warning for the next 20 minutes. We're talking Dune. If you don't want to know what happens. Um, yeah. And, and we don't do that now, but I, and I think Andrew agrees with me. It is a very complicated because when you're reading it, you're getting it from the point of view of the people who are living in this world and their interpretation of what is going on. And there's a lot right. of kind of having to read between the lines as to what's going on. Dune is hard to read. Yeah. Um, I just read it recently. And I mean, I've been an avid reader since I was a kid. I, you know, and I have never shied away from difficult reads. Um, but Dune, the thing about Dune is you can never... I had a really hard time keeping track of, wait a minute, is this something I'm supposed to know and remember from earlier that I just didn't retain? Or is this just like throwing weird information out and maybe we'll reference it later and maybe we won't? Yeah. Now, the, the political complexities and the other stuff going on in Dune, uh, right, exactly. I, have, I have always thought that, even though I've never heard him once talk about it, that George Lucas had to have been a big Dune fan. Oh, absolutely. Well, down to the twins. Well, yeah, thing. down to a lot of that stuff. But, I mean, even the, the political complexities that he introduced in the prequels. Right. You know, it's... Very we're, reminiscent. We're very, you know, have a lot of similarities. Better done in Dune, by the way. Do what? I said it's better done in Dune. But anyway. True. It is, though, your point still stands. He was he was definitely influenced by Dune. Well, and I, I've always been convinced that Dengar himself, uh, one of the bounty hunters in Empire Strikes Back, is actually a derivative character of Stilgar from Dune. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And but the the thing about Dune too, though, is like I say, a lot of what in the book the characters interpret as prophecy mm -hmm. is really political. Political right. manipulation dating back thousands of years, as a matter of fact. Yeah, right. exactly. So you have to get those things right. And when you start adapting to film, it's easier just to call it prophecy and fulfilling of prophecy. And that's not it. What, right. what, gets, interpreted, what gets interpreted on the surface as supernatural abilities actually aren't. These people are trained to have these skills. Like they really are skills about how to read people's Right. The emotions and body language and how to manipulate them. And it's not anything supernatural about it. Mm -hmm. And these are the kind of things I didn't really want to give away. But it, it, like I said, you need someone adapting that movie or adapting that, that book into a movie who actually understands what the hell's going on. Yeah. I don't think not you're giving anything away by saying those things though, because it's, even though the, it's, we're, we're going to deal with characters that are involved in this political complexity. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very character-driven. Very. So you're not, you're not giving, you know, the inside scoop away on all of the characters, which is the, the key. Um, 
But I'm I'm really excited about Dune. I think Dune will be the biggest movie coming out of of December. Um, I'm sitting here laughing. I just realized there's three movies releasing the same with Dune. It's Dune, West Side Story, and Coming to America 2. <laughs> did we need that? This I, is, that's not really the kind of the kind of movie we normally talk about on here. But did we need that? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, Eddie and Murphy's kind of. One, I mean, Coming Eddie Murphy's America, back. Right? I have I have no problem with it. With Eddie Murphy kind of having this resurgence in his career, I mean, that's a great one. If you're going to revisit something old of Eddie Murphy, that that's a great one. I do love the first one. I will admit. But it's kind of like Avatar. Just like Marisha says, she doesn't need another Avatar. I didn't really need another Coming to America, even though I love the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, Avatar, I guess I was wrong in that that's apparently ne- December 2021. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? That is true. I knew that. And whenever, But we were sitting here talking. When you asked me if that was this December... <laughs> Or next December, I was sitting there reading all the 2021 dates, and I'm sitting here thinking we're in 2021. I jumped a year ahead. Of course, as long as the month of March was, we might as well be in 2021 now. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> no kidding. But, yeah, that's that's what's going on with the release dates. If anybody else had any thoughts about it, I mean, that was it was just a couple of them jumped out. The ones that, are, that were slated for a year from now that are moving a few months, uh, I didn't actually expect, but whenever you see it and you think about it, it makes sense. That's because these movies that were supposed to release this year, they've got to move into a slot somewhere. I see. Or you're going to move, you're going to move them three months ahead. So you're going to bump another film on your slate three months ahead. And it's going to be a domino effect. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't hear you mention this when I see another one that was bumped to next year, which is Ghostbusters Afterlife. No, I did mention that too. Yes. Okay. And, and really, some of your concern has to be: can 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 these distributors and studios rebuild the buzz that they've been building to towards these movies that are now all of a sudden we got to wait another year for them? Do you get to start all your marketing over? Are you going to be able to rebuild the excitement for this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be tough so, for some of them, and I I would say that the one uh, one you mentioned with um, with uh, the New Mutants. Mm-hmm. We've been wondering all along what Disney really had up their sleeve with this one, whether they were trying to work it into the um, into the MCU or if it was just going to stand alone. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say if they're not trying to find a way to weave that one into the MCU, then it's probably going to go straight to VOD. I would agree, I would agree with that. If yes, yeah. So that'll kind of be an. I think that'll be a pretty good indicator. Actually, if it goes straight to VOD. We can go ahead and figure, yeah, that's not an MC, MCU film. But if they if they do give it another theatrical date, then there's still a chance. Mm-hmm. And I am still excited for this movie. I've been excited since the first trailer two years ago. I don't think it's the right move to make that part of the MCU as your introduction to Mutants when Disney didn't even make the movie. Um, there, it feels like there wouldn't be any control because, uh, uh, you know, Disney, Kevin Feige, MCU, they have been so meticulous about what they put into the MCU, what is canon, what is not. Kevin Feige's had his hands in every single piece of that. And with this movie, I haven't heard, maybe maybe I missed something, but I haven't heard of any reshoots or anything like that. 
since Disney acquired it. So they I find actually, it. They actually decided the version they wanted to release was Josh Boone's original cut. Well, there you go. And so and, I just they don't did that in. because Kevin Feige has seen both versions of this film and the original got Kevin Feige's thumbs up. The word really is that Feige really likes this movie. He can like the movie. That doesn't mean that he's going to, that because if he released it, that means that he now has to work everything he does around this movie it rather than, yeah creating a movie that's going to work around his vision. It would it be would an ex- it would be, be that hard. It, well, I don't know what I don't want this. I want them I want I want Kevin Feige to to have his hands completely in what he chooses to do with the mutants because but they have all, been, you, all it would mean though all you have to do is you're not going to have any of your other characters from any of the other from any of your other MCU films in this movie anyway, right? It's like you said, right. Fox shot, not Marvel. Okay, but all mm-hmm. it takes is in a future movie, just making reference to it, and somewhere in a sequel, exactly. Somewhere in a sequel, if you want to use these same actors to portray these same characters, somewhere in a sequel, you can tie the characters together. It, what's so wrong with that? Because you're you're making my exact point. Somewhere in a sequel, they have to tie back to this movie. This movie that Kevin Feige had nothing to do with, which is why no, I just find it hard to believe. Not what I meant. That's not what I said. You did say that. This movie can, no, this movie can happen the way it happens. Yeah. And it is your introduction to mutants. This call it part of the MCU. But what is wrong with, in the future, you want to use these same actors to portray these same characters? That's it. That's all it is. That's all you're doing. That's all. I just don't see it happening, I guess, is because I don't see Kevin, in the same way that Kevin Feige probably had nothing to do with those Netflix shows, and now it's, they're basically not a part of the MCU. I don't see Kevin Feige making anything that he has not had 100% control over have anything to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it is then because if it is if that if this movie is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and somewhere in the movie they say mutants are this mm-hmm. well now they have to follow that rule. That rule that Kevin Feige did not write, did not say was going to be it. Now that rule has to be followed. And I just don't see that happening. There's nothing else for mutants to be except what they are. The word mutant is literally is what it is. It's a genetic mutation. That's it. Yeah, what, what I, I'm, I'm, I know That's what, what the they're going to be. That's what they're going to be, I know. But anything, it, movies rewrite comic book things all the time they twist things around and if this movie decides to twist something around or say that one thing is one thing and then kevin feige doesn't want it to be that thing so you expect the mcu to make mutants be something else no but the mcu did play but it could be something else it doesn't the mcu took plenty of liberties with their characters so the point is it is very possible that liberties can be taken that Kevin Feige does not want taken. Right. I'm going to help 
out here. I'm gonna help you out here because I think I'm just gonna make your point for you. What you're trying to say is, you don't you want what the MCU's version of these characters would have been. You don't want them beholden to the version of what these characters are in this movie in a movie yes. they didn't even make. Exactly. I want them to be, and that I want them to be. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't want the MCU to later, if they make this an MCU movie, to later have to follow whatever rules about anything that they establish in this. And I don't think they're going to, because I don't think Kevin Feige's the kind of guy who's going to follow any rules that he doesn't make himself. And so I just don't see this movie being a part of the MCU. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I would love, I would love, and the thing is, I think personally, I would love for this movie to not be part of the MCU so I can watch it and enjoy it as strictly what it is without having to worry about how's it going to tie into this, this, and that. And I'm okay with that too. I'm not sitting here lobbying for it to be part of the MCU. I don't care either way. Y'all know that stuff doesn't bother me one way or the other. I always liked the mutant universe being something separate. I never actually wanted it to be part of the MCU. I'm just still standing by the idea that it's possible. Yeah. I guess it could be possible. I agree that it could be possible. I would say if I had to guess, I would say it's not going to be, but I won't say it's impossible. What, what's the, what's the percentage chance? Damn movie, I don't care. What's what's the what's the percentage chance that this is an MCU canon movie? The percent that it is? Yeah, like 50-50. Like 30 uh, it is, uh, 70 it isn't. Um, it's low. I won't say like 5%, 10%. Oh, I was, I'm going higher than that. I'm going to call it maybe 35. I, I think, think 35 is probably a fair. I think there's a 35% chance this film gets, that get, you know, becomes part of MCU canon. Yes. That's still not very much. I mean, chances are it's not, but I think 35, about 35, 65. I think that's a fair number for it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't. I, I, I also like to imagine that maybe Kevin Feige's the kind of guy who saw this movie. And like you said, he's choosing to release the original version of it. And I, I think he's the kind of guy who just appreciates good things and mm-hmm. just wants to put a good thing out in the world right. and not have to think about it. And I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah, and and I'm happy we're getting the version Josh Boone actually wanted to release because uh, I am a proponent of, you know, creator. He, he had a vision this movie wanted to make. You hired him to make it. You, you told him he could make it, release what he made. That's, that's, you know, I'm a big proponent of that, and I do actually, in spite of myself, I like Josh Boone movies. I actually found myself enjoying that fault in our stars movie i think he's a talented guy he was a fan of this comic book the run that it was based on as a lot of these directors are that's that's what makes a lot of them want to make these movies um and i'm i am happy that's the version we're getting i just want to see it and and to the point we're recently trying to make i don't if it goes straight to vod i will buy it the day it comes out so yeah i will too very excited for this movie but other than that, speaking of things straight to, straight to VOD, we've been, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of had a running topic on what we've been watching on quarantine. 
So has anybody got any updates for anything they've uh, <laughs> they found streaming or VOD or anything you anything y'all have watched recently to try to pass the time? I know I'm going stir crazy in this house. <laughs> but we're we're still kind of uh, we're I guess we're still kind of we're on we were on a short recording schedule this week, so uh, I really hadn't watched much that I since we recorded last knew. We finished Return yeah. of the King. We did. We finished going through Lord of the Rings. That's good. I, I call myself rewatching one of my favorite shows, Dexter. Hmm. Dexter's really good. Dexter is really good, and I and I, I bring it up because I realize like whenever I really like something, I like to listen to people talk about it. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of podcasts, right? right. So mm. I like looked up like let's find a Dexter podcast or let's find any. I just want to hear somebody talk about this. And validate my opinions. So I looked for it, and there's barely anything on the internet. Nobody talks about Dexter, and it makes me so sad because that show is so freaking good. And I and and I like what's Michael C. Hall up to? The guy who plays Dexter. What's he up to lately? Oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Great. And uh, I love that show, though. I've seen the whole thing, and, and um, I've also Michael been playing- C. Hall tried, but. He tried, but apparently that character is perfect for him, and that's his wheelhouse, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does Broadway now. I think that's it. He hasn't been able – I don't think he's been in any theatrical or TV release since Dexter. I couldn't find anything, and I might be missing something, but I looked it up, and I just could not find him in anything because I wanted. To, I thought he was a great actor, and I just wanted to see him in some more stuff and see what he could do. He voiced Batman in DC Gods and Monsters, so I thought that was cool. Just a cool, fun fact about Michael C. Hall. But yeah, that's a great show. And so I've been trying to find more shows like that, like drama, Showtime kind of shows, like these high-quality TV shows, because Mm -hmm. Dexter really did start coming out in in, in the golden age of television. Uh, Shows like Mad Men, uh, Dexter. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah, Breaking Bad. Walking Uh, Dead. Walking Dead, yeah, these, these Golden Age. And, oh, that reminds me, actually, I'm trying to catch up on Better Call Saul, uh, the newest season that's on Netflix, at least. Because I, I love that show even more than I like Breaking Bad. Um, Bob Odenkirk is one of my favorite people in the world. So It's related, it isn't season. it? I have not watched Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. So. Oh, they are... You will if you start Breaking Bad, you will finish it in a week. It's not a long show; it's five seasons, like okay, ten to fifteen episodes a season. It's a that's really like, short show. That's the one where the guy is dying, and he so he starts cooking meth. Yes, okay. that is that is that's Walter White, um, and his slow transformation into Heisenberg, and he starts as this just this good, honest guy. He's a science teacher at a high school, and he. And he breaks bad, and it is one of the most compelling stories that I've ever seen. And it's what put Brian Cranston on the map. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he'd always, no, he'd always Malcolm be, in the middle put Brian Cranston on the map. Yeah, don't take gonna, Malcolm in the middle away from me. No, no, I was going to say he was in Malcolm in the middle, but he would not have been in the Godzilla movie if it wasn't for Breaking Bad. Um, so, <laughs> I that's what really kind of shot him up to more than oh he's not just a comedic actor like yes Malcolm in the Middle oh, did, and the but. man's been nominated for an Oscar since all this too I mean he is 
But yeah, Breaking Bad was the one where people sort of went, oh, this guy's not just a comedian. Is that mm-hmm. the, he was the dad, right? And Malcolm in the Middle, yeah. yeah. Right. And was incredible in that role. He's pretty much been incredible in, in most things he's ever ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a, a very, for, for most of his career, I would say a very underrated actor. I don't think anybody would underrate him anymore. I really wanted him to be Lex Luthor. Ooh. I, yeah. I did too. That was my first choice. And if, you know, if we get another uh, go at that starting from scratch, that would still be my choice. Mm-hmm. He'd be fantastic, Lex Luthor. We were talking about VOD stuff earlier. Uh, Birds of Prey hit VOD early also. Uh, this theatrical run got cut kind of short. So they released it uh, last week. I did actually buy it and i have watched birds of prey if y'all have not seen it yet watch it uh, birds I, of prey? Enjoyed, I enjoyed the hell out of that movie cool we'll check that one out then it is it, the the one thing bothers me is and andrew already knows cassandra kane is my favorite bat girl uh they should have named this girl something else it is not cassandra kane hmm that's the only thing kind of bugging me if that's now going to be our dc version or DC Universe version of Cassandra Kane, I'm disappointed because I wanted to see the badass doesn't can't speak Batgirl version of Cassandra Kane. The guy that was raised by Ricard, the assassin, the whole deal. That's Cassandra Kane I want. And I'm not gonna get it now. She was just a pickpocket. She was a smart ass pickpocket teenager, which is cool. That character worked for the movie. Name her something else. Right. But other Black Canary that, was in that movie, wasn't she? Black Canary is in that movie, and she is actually done very well. Do they, uh, they is not, her name? What's her name? Like, do they, do they tell? Do they say that it that it is name? Her name is Dot Lance. Yes. Okay. And uh, we actually they stayed pretty true to that comic book origin. We just, with the fact that, uh, Donna Lance is the black canary. Everyone knows that's been our black canary for 40 years now. Uh, in comic book continuity, she is the second black canary. And we retconned that to make the first black canary, her mother. Well, in this film that is actually mentioned. That's cool. Yeah. That was a cool little touch, a cool little Easter egg. It's actually where the uh, idea for silk specter came from with, uh, with Watchmen. Uh, you know, in, in some aspects, yes. But they, um, they, they don't sell her power short. Uh, she does keep her powers in check because of what she is capable of doing. But when she uses them, she uses them. Um, Huntress uh, might have been my favorite part of the movie. Um, and it's really funny. She she spends the movie calling herself Huntress, but no one knows it. So they just keep calling her the crossbow killer. So <laughs> it's kind of a running gag in the show, because if you kill everybody you've ever told your name to, how does anybody know what you're calling yourself? <laughs> right. Right? That's so true. it's yeah. it's kind of a running gag through the movie, but she was really good. The outfit she wore during the course of the mo- of the movie is better than the one she had at the end. They have a thing at the end where they were showing kind of where everybody ended up, and they tried to give her a more comic book accurate costume. 
mm. which is normally something I like, but this one looked really cheesy and the outfit she had during the course of the film is way better. Uh, that's, that's just nitpicky. Yeah. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is Huntress and she, she did an excellent job. I enjoyed the character. Uh, they got Harley Quinn, right? You know, you sit here when you, when they first talked about this movie, we were wondering, well, Harley Quinn's a, she's a villain. She's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what she's been so far. And then she's just part of the Suicide Squad, right? We know all the things she's done. She runs with Joker. She enjoys that. She's nuts. How do you reconcile now? She's with these people who are just straight heroes. Um, but they played it well. The way that was written together actually made sense. They simply kind of all got caught up in the same scheme and had some common interest. And it, it was what it was. And it worked. Um, so, no, I really enjoyed it. The movie is just fun. There's a there's a scene in the police station where she goes to the police station shooting it up and everything's glitter bombs. Mm-hmm. And that sounds stupid, but when you see it on film, it's awesome. That's um, Mich- Michelle watched it with me. When we got through with it, Michelle goes, that was just as good as it was stupid. <laughs> like, she goes, it was good and it was stupid at the same time i said that's i said yeah i said but when you think about who harley quinn is that movie fits that sense of humor like it's uh i i enjoyed it and i not really understanding i, I don't know how anybody how that many people didn't enjoy it you, you know what i mean it kind of has some mixed reviews and people yeah. talking about it back and forth and i don't get the ones that I don't see the issues with it other people had. That was a fun movie. Yeah. So I'd well, I mean, it, it did wrap up with a 78% on Rotten Tomato, which is not terrible. No, um, it's not. There are a lot of movies I like a lot with a lot worse Rotten Tomato score than that. That's the truth. And especially for a comic book movie, that's pretty good. But uh, I, I am looking, yeah, it's, it's available to buy now to be available to rent uh, starting April 7th. Yeah, and I went back and forth on that buying it, and it's nineteen ninety nine. I told Michelle, I said, you know what? Me and you buy a ticket to the mm-hmm. movies. Oh, for sure. And buy popcorn and two drinks. Way more than twenty bucks. This is a exactly. This is a deal. Yeah. Um, so some so, sometime this week, I will probably buy Bloodshot and watch it. Um, and I actually turned on Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins today. Please tell me somebody remembers Remo Williams. Mm. I don't know. I'm not familiar with Remo. <sighs> I'm looking it up to see if I remember it. I don't remember this. It was good. I enjoyed Remo Williams. I used to watch it when I was a kid. I was going down the road today and just had it pop it in my head. I went to the dump. I am quarantining, okay? I just happened to go to the dump and throw some stuff away because while I am home. So anyway. <laughs> because yeah that's that's the problem is like this is the time to like clean up and declutter and stuff but you can't take your stuff anywhere unless you're throwing it away <laughs> exactly so that that's been my quarantine viewing this last week so okay um uh can we talk about star wars a minute even though yeah. we have a whole yeah. show dedicated oh, we're, just we're, to we're recorded for the week so let's hear what you got okay so my quarantine viewing has also involved season seven of Clone Wars. Oh. Um, 
and I have enjoyed the hell out of it. I actually, how long did we wait on this? What when did season six end? Uh, eight years. Something. I think like it's that. been about eight years. We'll just say ten. Eight sounds right. When you wait eight years for mm-hmm. a final season to a series, it, it wasn't and as it, long ago as it felt like it was six years. Okay. Six years. Okay. Well, either way, when you wait that long on something, mm-hmm. and it ends up being what I think is one of their best seasons, yeah, it's saying something, and yeah. I do. I enjoy the Bad Batch. The idea of the Bad Batch is, I think, brilliant. It was. It's definitely a way to add some individuality to the clones. Um, and yeah, sure. Why couldn't they? sort of genetically modify them and make them all a little bit different. Right. You know? Yeah. So Well, actually, as far as what we talked about on Coruscant Radio Underground, as we covered the Bad Batch episodes, uh, we talked about those Tuesday night. So David was there and was able to give his thoughts on that as well. So you're the only one that hasn't really been able to give your thoughts on on the Bad Batch arc, the first four episodes of Season 7. So tell us, so... What did you think? Like, so other than just like kind of the concept of it, like, what did you think of the story? No, I like the story. It, my two favorite characters in anything Star Wars animated are Ahsoka and Rex. Mm-hmm. So anything where we're focusing on those two, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed it. And the fact that we get Rex figuring out and, decide, and and realizing his friend's alive and let's go find him. I mean, I did, one of the things I always enjoyed about this show was we actually kind of got to humanize the clones a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and those first four episodes definitely did that. I mean, there's a, you know, we, we, we focus on the you know, camaraderie mm-hmm. of, you know, men at arms, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and there's, there's an impact of that. There's a truth to it. Yeah. Um, and of course we do it in a way that is still appropriate for it. It's a kid's TV show. That's what it is. Um, but as Star Wars fans, we as adults enjoy it also. Yeah. So, and I've always felt like that's really the mark of the best children's entertainment is that the adults can enjoy it as much as the, the kids can. I mean, mm-hmm. I said that about, geez, I said that about Veggie Tales back in the day, you know, because, like, you can sit it and the kids are, like, you know, they enjoy, like, the sort of, you know, superficial, like, humor, you know, but I'm, like, catching, like, all the kind of social commentary humor, right? So mm-hmm. that's always one of my favorite things is I feel like if, if a writer can pull off a kid's show um, that is well-written what enough and, en- can enjoy. Yes, and engaging enough to – um, to engage the adults, then they've really accomplished something. And I feel like that they've done, and they, they, they've done that well with Clone Wars, but they did that particularly well with this, uh, with this season. Right. And we got to see also that Obi-Wan knows exactly what the heck is going on. He's not stupid. No. Did you tell no, Padme high was. for me? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, those first four episodes, which I guess, which if that's all y'all talked about on Coruscant Radio Underground, uh, then I won't talk about the other two yet either. Um, well, what we kind of decided no, was that we would, really do, we would talk the first arc and then we'll talk the second arc when it's done. 
Right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but no, really well done. Like I said, I think there may only be one or two other arcs in the entire series that I think were better than what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think this might be their best season, and I've been impressed. Yeah. So, and and also uh, the casting news for the Mandalorian in season two. Yep. And I don't know how much y'all talked about that last night. We we pretty um, much covered it. Yeah, briefly. But we didn't get your it. we didn't get your take. We we discussed how we didn't get Andrew <laughs> uh, didn't get Daniel's take. So what is Daniel's hot take on all this <laughs> this chatter? Um, I'm happy with all of it. And I know there's a big contention out there that wants Ashley Eckstein to be a Soka live action, but I don't know how in the hell you can argue with Rosaria Dawson. Um, my my argument wouldn't be against Rosario Dawson. My argument would simply be in favor of the actress who has been portraying the character for so long. And and I understand that. Um but I've never seen her live action. She, you, you know, she hasn't done just a ton of live action, but she has done live action. Right. No, and I understand that, but I've never seen it. Yeah. I know Rosaria Dawson, what she's capable of. Right. And I absolutely think she can pull this off. And I think she will be a great Ahsoka. I mean, we're at an era now where Ahsoka is an adult. Rosaria Dawson is the right age to portray this version of Ahsoka. Um, and I, I, we, I, don't, I don't think we touched on this point yesterday, but Rosoia, um, she, Rizzo, I can't say her name for some reason. You know who I'm talking about. She's a huge fan of yeah. Star Wars, mm-hmm. and and she has not, not only has this been a fan cast, this has been something that she's been saying for years. She would love to do because she loves mm-hmm. the character. She loves the franchise. Yeah. There's a great picture going around. I'm sure you all saw it of her and Hayden Christensen hugging. Uh, like whenever she was younger mm-hmm. when she went to meet him and yeah, I've seen you know, that. you do the fan art over that and it's just a fun little thing. So David mentioned art. So Dave Filoni, we saw the image he put out with Ahsoka and that is Rex, correct? Writing the correct. Uh, yeah. Okay. So is that, Maybe hopefully some concept art for Mandalorian season no, two, and maybe we can get a live action. That, that that piece of artwork showed up several years ago. Did it? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> now the fact now now Dave does things. I mean he he's cryptic with his the way he handles posting artwork and stuff. Yeah. So I mean he could be putting it up for a reason, but it is old work from the. My understanding is that that was concept art from the last season of rebels if we were to see a live action rex though who would we want to see portray him Ooh, what a good question i mean i mean you've got to get the um the actor who was originally jango fett right it makes the Uh, most sense but you're going to really age him up yeah you could not that much well, Not I mean, the, the the clones are on accelerated, right? Aging. They are, and we already know. I mean, we we pretty much have a shot of him from we we know that the one the character in we now know Return that the, the character Jedi, in Return of the Jedi posted right. They never said that that one was Rex, but we did get confirmation that that was a clone, right? Another clone. I don't remember. It was always my understanding that it was Rex. They never outright said that. 
but they did say that Rex was at the battle. And that that is a clone and battle and, and Rex. Yeah, so yeah. Th- there's been this weird thing where they won't just outright say it, but... Um, yeah, that seems to be the case. I posted the picture on Twitter the other day, and uh, Marisha actually commented on it. But um, Old Nick Sant, well, that was the old uh, Expanded Universe name for him. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, because it's just St. Nick. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, it was Nick Sant, because he looked like Santa Claus. That's and funny. so it was a Star Wars version of St. Nick. But, uh, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, facial hair and, you know, gray, you know, gray facial hair, I think would, would be, you know, um, pretty, pretty convincing. Yeah. Way to, and if, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to put Rex look, live so, action, he's at, you absolutely should consider bringing him back to play the character. Yes, I think so. Tamura Morrison is 59 years old. Okay. Right. We have to remember they made the uh, prequels. What year? I'm listening to tell you exactly. No, but let me verify it real quick. 1999. Yep. Revenge of the Sith was 2005. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about 15 to 20 years ago. They made the prequels, mm-hmm. right? So we mm-hmm. are. We're kind of in that range. He's still the right age to portray yeah. Rex. I mean, you got 17 years between Revenge and A New Hope. I mean, that's pretty, you know, and, and, and actor. And then roughly five years for the course of the five or and then six, another right, five, so and then, Yeah, and then another five for the to get to The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So you're 30 years past A New Hope right now, and we made uh, Attack of the Clones in 2002. So you're not that far off. I mean, yeah. You let Paul Morrison grow his beard out. Mm-hmm. He's he actually has gray hair. If he's got a gray beard, let him be Rex. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's the that's the most logical choice. Oh, I mean, how that would make me so happy to have to have him show up and again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if they'll do Rex or not. I would say that if Ahsoka's back, that Rex makes sense as a traveling companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can certainly do that. I now, mean, do we think if they do come back, how much are we going to see of these characters? Very little. Do One like, think, an, like an episode. An episode centering around them. I would probably think that. And we talked about this um, at length on one of our last episodes and on a live stream with some other podcasts the other day. And my reasoning there is because, you know, one of the things we heard constantly with the new trilogy, the sequel trilogy, was that every time Luke or Leia or Han were on screen, they stole the show and they were really wanting to push these new characters you're kind of going to have that same thing. Like you, this could turn into the Ahsoka show real fast if she's on there too much. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, I could see that definitely happening, which is probably why I think if she was just there for an episode, mm-hmm. she'd probably steal the season, but not in a bad way. Right. Just in a way that everyone's talking about how freaking cool it is. You just, you, and, you've put in all this effort to build this new character and, and his surrounding characters up with Cara Dune and, and these other characters. And, you don't want to bring somebody in for a whole season that's just going to overshadow the whole cast. In the same way, you don't want to bring in Boba Fett, you know, to, to come right, in and hang yeah. out for a whole season. It's like, don't do that, because all of a sudden now it's the Boba Fett show, right? 
I still think we're getting more about Boba Fett in this series at some point. Oh, I think I, we should. I do too. But I, I think I, I still don't think that Boba Fett just needs to hang around for the whole season in his Mandalorian armor. Yeah, but that would be my guess is you know an episode. She yeah. might show up or in more than one, but it, it will be a very it'll be a somewhat limited role. I mean, I think like the first few times she showed up in Rebels, you know, just kind of via hologram. You know, and, and she, she we saw her several times over you know over the course there, but. We didn't ever see her for more than just a few minutes at a time. Yeah, and and having Ahsoka show up is really cool. But honestly, and we talked about this a little on the other show, uh, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But what's more intriguing to me is Ahsoka and Sabine are back from searching for Ezra. Yep, that's what, and and I had the same point too. That actually, the more intriguing Ahsoka story to me is I need to see that story. I yeah. need to yeah. see what happened when Ahsoka and Sabine went and looked for Ezra. Right. Like we're skipping that. Right. But I what, would what the hell. <laughs> but I would say that the more intriguing character to have show up from Rebels would be Sabine because her story is more important to what's going on with Mandalorian culture. This is very true. And that's absolutely true. She is Mandalorian. It's a show about a Mandalorian. That's the better fit. That does make, like you say, the more intriguing story. Let's find, let's figure out where she ties into this. And Tia Sakar okay has done too. a lot of live action stuff. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that's going to be a really physical role. Granted, if you're in a helmet, it ain't got to be the actress, you know? So, yeah. so I, you know, I don't know but, about her doing, you know, again, that's another actress who. Great actress, but I've never seen her. I've never seen her do anything really physical. Really physical. So. Yeah. Well, no. Some of the other casting, though. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Well, that's the one I wanted to ask you what you thought thought about Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Michael. How do you say his last name? Is it Bean? Michael Bean? Bean. Okay. It's Bean. Okay. Michael I, Bean. I, that's what I've been saying, and I wasn't totally sure I was saying it right, but uh, I wanted to know what you thought about those two because those two are really intriguing actor. Uh, you know, actors to have show up in this. Uh, they are, and Michael Bean, of course, is famous for James Cameron 80 movies, right? Right. Aliens, Terminator, was Johnny Ringo in Tombstone? Yep. Um, which he was fantastic in, by the way. Uh, but he's kind of hit or miss. Like he, and his film career kind of got derailed with some personal problems, too, so... He hasn't really been around. You don't you don't see him a whole lot in the last, you know, twenty years. Uh, so it is an interesting casting, and I have no clue what kind of character we would see either one of these actors play. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is. I mean, she's freaking Jamie Lee Curtis. What are you going to say? The possibilities for either one of those actors, I think, are pretty broad. Uh, like I said, it's always good to add talent. Haven't seen Michael Bean in a lot. Liked him as an action star in the eighties. There's no doubt. Um, but you haven't seen him in a lot since. So I'm not sure what really to make of that one. Uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis is you're again, you're just adding talent. Anytime you attach her name to anything, mm-hmm. how are you going to complain? So it's it's very promising. I mean, this show has been 
very good so far. We we're adding more talent this year. Jamie Lee Curtis, Rosaria Dawson. Uh, and like I said, we kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence about Michael Bean just cause I haven't seen him a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure his character will be toting some kind of weapon. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I kind of so, suspect they both will be. Yeah, well, well, We'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. One, but I, I'm excited for this season and the casting news. Just gets me more excited because because I, I think we're adding talented people to the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's all good things. I did want to touch on real quick, and I should have done this back when we were talking about all the things got pushed. But I wasn't thinking TV. Uh, that I did want to mention. You know, one of the big series that has been in development. Um, you know the most expensive TV series ever made uh, in the new Amazon Lord of the Rings series mm-hmm. has been, mm-hmm. they've, they've had to halt production as well. And of course there's all, there were, there were rumors swirling around about a month before they halted production that they had fired their entire writing staff. Um, and that all occurred like two weeks after Christopher Tolkien passed away. Mm. Um, so I don't really know what's going on. I mean, the, the Tolkien estate has a very tight rein on that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. not, if they don't like what's being written, it ain't, it's not going to go. Um, but I don't know how much truth I heard very, you know, there were not a lot of places reporting the thing about the writers. And then you go another couple weeks down the road and they say, well, you know, we've halted production. So I don't know if, you know, <laughs> what was true, but they've definitely halted production on that. But in the meantime, we're starting to get a little bit clearer of a picture of a Lord of the Rings MMO that was announced last year. Um, they didn't make a big announcement, but they are um, some some folks who have worked on World of Warcraft and a number of other big MMOs are developing a Lord of the Rings MMO. And I've never been one to play MMOs, and I have to say that one I will probably have to at least check out. Yes. Well, I don't necessarily need <clears throat> I don't necessarily need an MMO as badly as I would want a straight RPG and just a good one. Yeah, set in that world. They've tried a couple of different Lord of the Rings video games that have just not lived up to expectations. Um, yeah, but a straight Scott, a straight Elder Scrolls style Lord of the Rings RPG would be mm-hmm. fantastic. It, it doesn't make sense to me why they haven't done that yet. And I, I think I've made this joke before, but it, sometimes it feels like people are afraid of money. <laughs> like I don't understand why you wouldn't do exactly what you're saying, Daniel. Just make an Elder Scrolls style RPG set in the Lord of the Rings world. Yep, that would be absolutely incredible because they've made games like that. I've played Lord of the Rings games. I've never really enjoyed any of them. No, they never live up to expectations at all. They never do, and it's so complicated. It's so com- so confusing because it just doesn't seem that complicated. And I'm not a game developer, but when it comes to just certain design choices, it's like, why not do it the way that would be good? You know, <laughs> like I don't understand. Um, whoever has the, and, and usually maybe because they're putting them in charge, and they're putting them in the hands of these sort of low-level developers that aren't really known for anything because they're cheaper to pay for. But I, I don't understand how whoever have, would have the license 
to make that sort of thing, invest the money, get a high-quality RPG developer like Bioware, even though Bioware has been kind of uh, on the rocks right lately with their um, with their track record. But uh, get someone like Bioware. Get someone like Bethesda, who, oh my god, actually, they've also yeah, been pretty never, lucky. You'll never get Bethesda to do it, though. They were going to make a Game of Thrones one until they decided to go with Skyrim. I, I bet was about to say, that Game of Thrones, some of the some of the groundwork that was laid for that Game of Thrones game got put into Skyrim. Right, and so they were... They were working on it. Yeah. And they were like, you know what? We've got this Elder Scrolls property. Let's just take the groundwork we've laid for this Game of Thrones and just continue our own property. And mm-hmm. it's the same reason they won't do it. You won't get them to do a Lord of the Rings because why not just keep developing what they already own outright? I agree. Um, I have the answer for you. Money. Lots of money. (laughs) Exactly. But do you really think an Elder Scrolls game is not going to sell close to what a Lord of the Rings game would and then you don't have to pay for the license? Money. 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 I'm saying that you should, as as an investor of, whoever owns the license for it should invest in Bethesda, pay Bethesda to make the game for you. And and then that's where you that's where the money comes from. It, you do understand that okay, you do understand the person who owns the license is gonna get paid somehow. That's how they get paid. Yeah, they get paid by the game. I'm I know what you're saying. The the the, the, the typical order of things is developer pays license holder, developer makes money from game. Do it the other way around. Hire somebody to make this game from you, and then your profits come from. From um, nobody's gonna sign that contract, son. <laughs> no, because why would the developer? Never mind. Never mind. Because the developer would make money too. I don't understand. I get it. I get. It. I know that the usual way of but doing things. Going to make, but they're gonna make less by making someone else's property. So why would Bethesda own. bother making something they that someone else owns whenever they already own something similar enough that's going to sell just as well? But then there's got to be somebody out there. Like, never get Bethesda to do it. But there's got to be somebody and, out there uh, who I'm makes... Playing, right, Andrew? Andrew, you get my point, right? I do. Okay. I totally understand your point 100%. But that, in, that, in that case, fine. With using that logic, then the only ga- game developer should only ever develop one single property because that's the one that's going to make the money every single time. Like it, it is possible for developers to develop something else. But that's not true either because you know what? If you don't already own something like Elder Scrolls, you need the name recognition and the ideas that come with something like Lord of Rings. Who made the um? Who, who's made the the more recent Lord of the Rings games? There are some RPG elements. And there are, it is a but it's mostly just open world, run around and kill stuff. It's Assassin's Creed. It's exactly like Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Okay, so you know what? We'll give them Shadows of Mordor. We're sitting here talking about we need a Lord of the Rings style RPG. We had Shadows of Mordor. So we'll give you that one. Other yeah. than that, though, I still want something more. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's an awfully big world. You know, it seems yeah. like they should be able to do something legit. Let's um, get a game where I can be a dwarf or an elf in mm-hmm. this world. Right. You know, that's I don't like 
fixed character RPGs. I like the creativity of something like actually right. a game that did not succeed, but Kingdoms of Amalur, the freedom you had in that, the freedom you had in the Elder Scrolls game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. Yeah. Give me free. Give me. Give me free reign in Tolkien's world. I mean, why not? There is so much there. So much there. It's ridiculous how much there is there. Well, I mean, I think that's largely what the MMO will do. Okay, so now y'all are all going to laugh at me. What does MMO actually stand for? Mass multiplayer online. Okay, so like it's an RPG. It's just. Like playing with a whole bunch of other people. A whole bunch of other people. Okay, that makes sense. So like like that Star Trek game you played for a while? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is the same it it gets like confusing running around and running and other players who are in the same quest you are and they run up and grab the quest item you're trying to grab and then it's still there because you have to grab it too and it's like <laughs> That's funny. Am I wrong? Oh no, you're right. It's just kinda weird. But yeah, no, there, it it'll it it's something I will probably play. Even though, like I said, I don't know if I'm gonna do MMOs either. But the power of the Lord of that Lord of the Rings license we were talking about, mm-hmm. I'll play it. Let's check it out. And give that's me the a, thing. Give me a free trial, hook me, and just take all my money. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like if it says Lord of the Rings on it, I'm at least gonna give it a shot. Me and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other people. This show right. scares me though. The show scares me. Does it? Why is that? Because I don't know what the hell it's going to be. Uh, here's the thing. Are we going to set it in Tolkien's world? Yes. Are we actually going to base it on anything Tolkien wrote? Probably not. Well, I, I mean, so far what they've given us sounds like it's going to be somewhat centered around the creation of the ring. The rings of power. You've got the... Do we, how much detailed story... How much detailed dramatic narrative how much do we have or how much does the Tolkien estate have how much does the Tolkien estate have that's literally what I'm asking how much of that story out of J.R. Tolkien's mind has actually been put to paper we uh, don't know we don't know but I suspect a pretty good bit because that's that's literally what the man did was created this world and then spent the rest of his life writing the histories of it I know I know all that. It still scares me because I've had no guarantee where this source material is coming from. If we just have a room of writers sitting right. around going, okay, we're writing a story set in the world of set in middle earth. Right. What do we not, what have we not heard yet? Well, we haven't heard much about the creation of the rings. Okay. So how'd they do that? And then these writers are sitting around there figuring it out. I mean, I'm scared of Lord of the Rings without Tolkien source material. You know, and that's, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, it's kind of like the conversation, you know, whenever there were going to be new Star Wars movies with no George Lucas, it's like, but, but, mm, but there's no George Lucas now. So what does that mean? What does that mean for the story? So, you know, I mean, that's a valid question. What, you know, how much of this are they just going to kind of make up in, in, and have it fit in world and how much of it have they got material for and I suspect as it gets closer, we'll start to get answers to more of that. Yeah. Right. I mean, we just don't know that much. And, and in that aspect, you're right. It is a little scary, but I, I'm still excited to see what they do with it. Amazon has, Amazon has invested way too much money in it to not try to do the right things. 
I mean, it's going to be the most expensive TV show ever made, and it's not even there's not even a close second. We are excited about that, and that is again in the realm of things that are getting pushed back. So I don't know if there's anything else to talk about in that realm. Do we do no, you have any I other thoughts on, to, any, uh, on anything we're talking about right now before no, we move on? I think we need to uh, probably move on to our uh, X Files discussion. That's exactly what I was fixing to do. Okay, so what I think is going to become a another weekly segment along with our Star Wars Star Trek, I'm sorry, along with our Star Trek reviews. Uh we are rewatching X Files. Uh of course this is a very long series. Don't expect us to review review every episode. We're gonna hit we're gonna the high pick points. Yeah, we're gonna hit the high points, which there are a lot of in this show. Uh Andrew and I grew up huge fans of the X Files. May have been one of the first things we connected over, other than sports. Yeah. Um, so we have all uh, just recently rewatched the first two episodes, um, and I know I feel like I do this a lot, but I like getting first impressions. So I got to go to David. Yes. Who's never watched X Files. Not one what episode. did you think of episodes one and two? Uh, so I. Are we talking about episodes one and two or just one? We're going yeah, to talk one, about both. Yeah. I've seen two of them. Marisha, have you seen the first I, I have both? seen them before. I watched the first okay. one today, but I have seen them, the, the, the first two all. All right. Okay. So you're okay this if I talk about will, yes. oh, yeah. this This review will be episodes one and two. And if you haven't seen this 20-year-old TV show, be warned. There are spoilers ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we're uh, kicking the spoiler warning out of this segment. What? It just, yeah. you, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you had not seen this show by now. So That's go probably ahead, true. Dude. So we're I'm starting wrong. with episode one and two because I told David last week that in order to understand Fox Mulder, he needed to watch these two episodes before we moved on. We will probably do a lot of skipping around, do some themed stuff where I might give him, you know, an arc where we've got a character that pops back up, you know, 10 episodes later. Uh, we're going to do some stuff, some jumping around, but I felt like it was important to start X-Files by understanding our main character. Yeah, and I totally understand why you did that with these two episodes because I have a uh, a feeling that what, especially what happened in the second episode is going gonna, is gonna, to um, be a big part of his character for the... Uh, at least for a good bit of the show. So I've never seen X-Files before. I've only ever heard the the, the, the intro song, which was really uh, shocking to actually see the intro and hear the song and it not be part of a meme. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, this is actually, like I, like, I heard, I was like, memes? What? And I'm like, oh, it's the actual, that's right, I forgot. That's funny. Um, but I've, you know, my entire life I've heard things about the X-Files and... I'm really, really happy, actually, that you guys got me started watching it because, like we were talking about earlier, I've been re-watching a lot of shows, and, and now this is a show that I think um, I'm going to be really interested in and in watching. Even though we're going to do some more themed episodes and jumping around, I'm probably going to try to watch it in order, even though it's a mm-hmm. lot of oh, episodes. Oh, yeah, and you should. Uh, because yeah. it's a, it was a lot of fun watching the show fun's a weird word to say about this show but it's it was a lot of fun to watch and and i love a good mystery and it's really hard to write a good mystery um 
I've been I've been working on something like that myself that I was kind of hired to do, and it's very difficult. So I can only imagine how difficult it must be for these guys to write a mystery that spans all of these seasons. But I think it was really well done, and I loved, uh, especially in the second episode, as it unraveled, you start to put the pieces together yourself because it really none of it makes sense at all. But the more and more you hear about it, the more you can put it together in your own head and you get excited and you get into it and and you start figuring out even before maybe the characters do you're like oh i i bet that they're you they're they're making uh test planes out of ufo stuff and it's driving these pilots crazy i bet that's what's happening and then yeah that is what's happening so that was really really cool i thought that was really well written i mean the writing of the show is what stands out right um yeah the mysteries and also just the characters and the dialogue the interaction, uh, right? Mulder and Scully were two of the most interesting protagonists in TV that I've seen with just within one episode mm-hmm. or two episodes. Like by episode one, I was completely invested in their characters and I feel like I understand really what they're about, at least for the most part. And understand their dynamic perfectly, and uh, I think it makes for a great back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see Scully slowly get on board. Right. You know, um, I'm assuming you. I heard you laugh, so now I'm worried that maybe she's going to spend the whole show being like, <laughs> "There's no way." But um, well, she even she, if she doesn't, it's a great back and forth. She, she you'll see her her change her opinions over time. But she's still mm-hmm. never quite as willing but to jump to the weird as Mulder's like, it's like, you know, like the guy in the meme, yeah. aliens, you know. Scully will always, you know, they're, they're a constant in that Scully will always go to science first. And yeah. Mulder will always look for something unexplained. Which is, I think that you makes for a great dynamic. Yeah. They established um, in the first episode, you were talking about a psychologist mm-hmm. and a medical doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and they fit that those those two personality dynamics perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and Scully starts to you know get on board with things, but you're right; she's always willing to. She's always first to jump to the logical she's answer, looking for the logical answer, right? Yes. Which is good. That's I mean that's that that's a balance for it because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of times in the show where maybe it turns out that there is a logical answer to it. Oh, I, I don't know. I, this is all pure speculation, but I'm assuming <laughs> that's going to kind of come up and it's going to really flip flop and, and, and give right. them a real balance. And then they're both necessary to be a part of the team to look for those two different sides uh, to, for Scully to reel him in when he starts getting a little too crazy. And for her, for him to bring out the, the imagination in Scully and to make her like realize like there, there's more going on here than what you think. Which I think Scully already realizes, but it, it'll be good to have somebody keep things sort of straight. But yeah, I love the show. Uh, I thought it was a lot of. I thought it was a really, really cool show. It was really cool. Yeah. That's the that's you, the perfect word for it. It's freaking cool. You fit it right though with the characters because the dynamic between the two of them is the show, and they do through the course of the series. They need each other to keep each other in balance because you can't explain everything with logic and science. And that's where Mulder comes in. 
But like you say, every now and then there is a logical explanation. But I will tell you something about this show. Even when there is a logical explanation, it is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So, um, yeah, they did the first two episodes really do help establish who they are as characters and who they're going to be. And yeah, did the FBI bring Scully in to spy on Mulder because they don't want him running off half cocked? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Scully really big on the idea of ratting out her colleague? No, she's not. But she is fair and down the line and by the book. Like you see her case reports at the end of each episode. Mm-hmm. She just tells the truth. Yeah. I can't substantiate this, but I can substantiate this. This is what Mulder thinks. I don't know if he's right or not. And it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We also get introduced to a couple, I say introduced, um, there's one character we never hear speak in the first two episodes. He's prominent in both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it the, the guy sitting in on those? Uh, yeah, it's the smoking man. The, the can, can, yeah, the cancer. I think Mulder calls him the cancer man. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. The cigarette smoking man yeah. was his official name for the series. Right. I noticed. I did notice him that he was just sitting there and then never saying a word. Well, and you also get the end of the first episode where you get this really cool look. I mean, he's got the the thing that came out of um, the implant from mm-hmm. the uh, that was found in the primate in the in the grave in the kid. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we see him filed away. It's this very uh, with a bunch of other similar looking right, items. but it's very Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, he's he's just filing this stuff away in this endless row of mm-hmm. boxes in in the Pentagon. And who knows within those freaking boxes, right? Oh, and and who David knows? mentioned yeah. David mentioned the mystery. The great thing about this show, one of many, one of the great things about this show is they never really hide the mystery from you. The second episode when he asked. His informant guy, they're here, aren't they? He said, they've been here a long time. Mm-hmm. This show never hides the fact from you that Mulder is right. Right. It never yeah, tries to make Mulder show, look like a crazy show person. Is, Mulder's is, on the, the right track. The show, right, exactly. The trick to the show is, why are they here? And how is Mulder going to prove it? Like, Yeah. The and, of the show. And, and sometimes in shows, I like the idea of like, oh, you don't really know is Mulder yep. crazy or, you know, that that works mm-hmm. for some shows when you have a main protagonist who you can interpret it as he's a crazy guy. But I, I, I like the idea for this show that there's there's no BS. There's no, um, you know, beating around the bush about it. Mulder's right. We see that weird air. He gets a firsthand um, a first-person point of view on it. He sees it. He sees right. that weird triangle aircraft thing hovering above him, mm-hmm. and it was actually it was actually kind of like heartbreaking to see that taken away from him. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what I was talking about. That thing that's probably gonna really drive his character. I can imagine is they took it away from me because that's the thing he. Cause, and I love the whole setup with his sister was taken, mm-hmm. and so that's what kind of drives him to do this. And and he finally got that first-hand look at it and they took it from him and he's going to be fighting to get that back he doesn't even know what it is that he's fighting for necessarily but he knows that there was something there that's not there anymore 
and he needs answers and he deserves the answers because he saw it. And I, I think that works. I think that sets up a really great, a really great character for the show that that's really uh, you root for that. I really am rooting for and yep. want to see him prove to everybody that he's right. And, and to be given the respect that he deserves. Right. Yeah. And, and well, they, the, the for episode one and two, the reason I chose episode one and two is because together they, they introduce you to two characters. You've got the smoking man, the cigarette smoking man, Episode two, you get introduced to Deep Throat. Um, is that the guy that was... Uh, that's the informant. Uh, Deep Throat the informant. is a name. Deep Throat was the kind of code name given to the informant back during Watergate. the uh, Watergate uh, hearings. Oh. He was okay. the, the unknown informant. Um, so okay. that's where they brought that name in from. This is this guy, Mulder, doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. But that was actually the name of the episode. It is the name mm-hmm. of the episode. That's cool. And but, and that guy's really interesting. I want to know. I want to know about what, what's going on with him. Do we ever at find first? Out? I'm like, oh, he's working for the government or whatever. But yeah. maybe not. Well, so you get this with those two episodes. You get really introduced into the overarching mythology of the X Files. Yeah. And you'll get more into that too. That the not every episode focuses on UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials. Uh, the X Files really do get into more paranormal things as well. And Mulder's interested in them as them also, just right. for his own natural uh, morbid curiosity. Yeah. Right. So. It will you focus on you'll you'll see a lot of weird things as the show goes on, uh, and those would be some of your favorite episodes, by the way, because they're they're mine. Um, the things that don't have to do with the vast alien conspiracy are mostly really good episodes. Like Andrew and I call them the creature of the week episodes. Um, yeah. So you, you'll enjoy that, too. Well, and the interesting thing is they kind of, there's always a sprinkling of it's like, like the, the mystery that, that, you know, aspects of it get solved eventually. And then there's like, you know, like any cop show, there's the cases they solve and then the ones they don't. Mm-hmm. The ones that they just leave kind of as a question mark. And I think that's, it's always an interesting dynamic because like. You don't know whenever you're watching it. It's not like, well, we know they're going to solve it at the end because sometimes they don't. Right. You know, sometimes right. it's or just sometimes like they think, or sometimes they think they did, and then you get they they loved doing um, like a cutscene, like almost. a it, well, I mean, it's not after the credits, but yeah, there's a lot of times like a stinger scene on a scene on the end of the episode mm-hmm. that you think you understood it all, and you see that scene, and you go, oh my god, it's like you'll think you understood it all, and what happens a lot is the audience. Will understand what went on without Motor and Scully understanding it. That happens too because yep. we end, you end up privy to stuff through the episode that the characters aren't, and it's frustrating because you're sitting there going, "Just look under the damn bed, Dana." You know, <laughs> like, like, like now, that that's happened. something I thought about, and I'm kind of actually, I, I thought about and noticed that, and that kind of worries me a little bit, um, only because I'm just that's. I'm the kind of viewer who, who gets frustrated at things. I feel like there's going to be, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of times that I'm watching this show and I have to turn it off for a second because I'm so frustrated with things like that. And 
that's okay as long I hope that they um that it all pays off and works well for at least the story but that's just something that did worry me a little bit was that it's going to be a bit too frustrating of a show no they they for balance the most it. part yeah for the most part Scully and Mulder are really smart and they're really good mm-hmm. and no trust it's, characters it's, are done justice throughout the entire series I mean it's okay if it's okay if so, if they don't solve everything and they don't figure everything out I just don't want to um I, don't, I just that this is something that there's a little nitpick just a little bit of that thing I was watching and thinking to myself oh god if every episode ends with these annoying agent agent guys coming and pulling them out of their car and <laughs> telling them to go back to their hotel then I'm gonna hate this show and never watch it again yeah no there's not there's some of that but there's not just a ton of that but um, I mean, you get this whole thing where, yeah, I mean, two episodes in, it's confirmed there are extraterrestrials, there, there's something going on, and the government's involved somehow. Somehow. Yeah, and I think it brings in some really, it brought up some really interesting questions. Of One of the things that, um, that Scully says is, uh, I think she says the government's not above the law. Right. But it's like, are they? Are they, though? Right. And then it, it, I started asking myself these questions of who is above the law? Mm-hmm. How do you enforce that? When is the truth more important than human lives? When is security more important than the truth? That was the question brought in the second episode. Yes. And, yeah, exactly. Like that, that all just, yeah. just in that one episode, all these questions are being like brought what, up. It's like, what, what length, what length, what lengths should the government be allowed to go in the interest of national security. Right. And who's right, who's wrong. Whenever those those agents are, you know, pull them over on the side of the road, part of me is getting really, really frustrated, but then part of me's actually thinking like, who's right and who's wrong in this situation? Like yeah. what I happens if that becomes the public guy, knowledge? When Scully picked Mulder up, the guy told him he said inappropriately. Yeah, he said the secrets we keep here are equal to the protection we give them. And you're the one who acted inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And he means right. He believes. Yeah. He believes it. And it's, and that's the thing. And I think Scully even brings up a good point. Scully says, what if, what, hear me out. What if they're just testing a new aircraft and they don't want the secret to get out because then like Russia could use it and kill us. What if it's as simple yeah. as that? What if they're testing an aircraft and don't want the secret to get out? Mm-hmm. And it's a valid argument. It's the kind of stuff we still deal with, same questions yeah, we still, still have. very relevant society. today, yeah. And, and the thing that's scary is that I was honestly thinking, like, honestly thinking, like, this show could just be true stories, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, and I think even in the first episode, it's like, this is based off of actual accounts or whatever. But more than that, it is very possible in my head that this sort of thing happens all the time where people get too close into a government base and this exact sort of thing that we're seeing happening happens all yep. the time. And it's something people have to deal with all the time. It is very, very relevant. Well, it's, it's the show that raised an entire generation of conspiracy, conspiracy theorists. Right. And I mean, that makes, yeah, it makes you think about those things and it makes you. Because it presents and, them to you in such an intelligent way that you go, yeah, mm-hmm. this is plausible. <laughs> yeah. And a scare. It's, kind of terrifying 
Yeah. It's it's really scary, actually. Like, it almost made me, like, upset to be like, I don't, do I want to watch this show and, like, like have to deal walk with around? Deal with these have, things? Yeah. Have to deal with these things and have to have these thoughts? Like, I'd like to walk around without looking over my shoulder. So right. maybe I should just stop now. I mean, I'm going to keep watching it, but th- that's the actual thought. And I'm sure the writers intended for that, yeah. for you to be afraid of what you're seeing in this show, of the idea that it is possible. But I mean, isn't that what the best entertainment does, though, is to make you like look at it and go, huh, well, there's real world application to that. You know, to to think about the really important things. I mean, those are really important questions. And, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I I realize how important they are. Questions of security versus liberty. And, like, sometimes you can't have both. And so if you have to pick one, which one, you know, who has the right to withhold liberty or security? You know, those those kinds of Mm -hmm. questions, they're... They're important, and um, clearly a lot of people come out with different answers to them, but I think that not ever asking those questions is kind of just burying your head in the sand. I agree, and, and, and Scully makes a great point when she brings them up. I think, I think one of the things Scully says is, um, who are we to have the right to even ask these questions? Mm-hmm. Like, well, some of these questions are not for us to answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just her opinion. But of course, you have Mulder, who is like on the complete opposite end of like, we have to answer these questions. And, and maybe maybe it is a personal thing that um, Scully has to be there to stop him from letting his personal feelings get in the way of what may actually be important. And I'm sure that's going to come up a lot where mm-hmm. there's going to be times where they're probably wrong. They're in the wrong for trying to figure this sort of thing out. Like, there are questions that don't need to be answered by FBI agents. You just need to watch the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't uh, – go ahead. I said we're gonna. That's what we're doing. That's our, that's our new project. So anyway, then, I don't guess we're doing Star Trek tonight. David didn't watch the movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, other than that – yeah, I'm going to sign us out. Y'all good? I think we're good. I think that's it. All right. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. And until then, Marisha, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore Padawans. I have a website, princessesandpadawans.com. And I'm also P Padawans on Twitter. And mostly that's um, sometimes I, I talk podcast related stuff but that's mostly a place for my cosplay ventures so all right and andrew all right uh you can find me online running the twitter account for this show at sci underscore fictionary you can find me on our other twitter account at crew underscore podcast at cru underscore podcast uh you can find me hosting that show course not radio underground every week and you can drop us a line at the science fictionary at gmail.com. And David? You guys can find me on my Twitter or Instagram, which are both stay underscore creative DD, or you can find me over on my YouTube channel, which is creative D. And I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.